are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Today's part two of our series entitled, Don't Take My Word For It. In this three-part series, we're tackling some tough questions as we examine the foundations of our faith. At the conclusion of today's message, be sure to stick around to learn more about North and how you can be a part of all that God is doing right here in Marietta. But for now, here's part two of Don't Take My Word For It. All right, good morning. How are you? You ready to study the Word of God today? All right. Listen, this is week two of Don't Take My Word For It. We're looking at the evidence of um, the authority of Christianity and the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The series is entitled, obviously, Don't Take My Word For It, because there are going to be circumstances in your life where the things that you naturally rely on are not going to be able to be used in your conversations with other people. So the goal is, is to give you more information, more proof about the reliability of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about how we know that Christianity is true and the one way to God, and also how the power of the Holy Spirit literally changes your life and guides you unlike any other thing that is available in the world today. Last week, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about how do we know Christianity is true. And the passage that we're going from is John chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Over the next few minutes, what I want to do is give you some reasons, some explanations, and some authority that you can stand on in addition to your knowledge of the Word of God that makes you confident that your faith in Christ is true. So I'm going to tell you right up front, there's going to be a lot of data information in this because I'm approaching some of this from how do I understand this based on world standards? How can I look at it when other people say, but okay, tell me this, but I don't accept the Bible. So how do, how do I know that the Bible's true? How do I know that there is a God? I'm going to approach it from a world point of view using evidence from that. So just so you know, I'm going to need you to lean in a little this morning, Okay. I'm going to give you a lot of data. You can take as many notes as you want to. Once again, tomorrow we'll post a lot of the notes online so you can have those if you want to lean in and listen to it. For some of you, this is going to be very new for you. For some of you, you're really into this stuff and you're about to geek out, okay? Others, I'm going to need you to just lean in and listen to the the reasons why your faith is a credible faith that you can stand upon. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, anoint what I have give, you've given me to say as it goes forth. Anoint our ears to hear it and our hearts to receive it so that you may accomplish your wonderful, perfect will in our lives and that your name may be glorified. And we ask that, believe that, and by faith give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. A few years ago, there was a movie that came out starring Jim Carrey, and it was called The Truman Show. The premise of the movie was Jim Carrey was the star And he was involved in this uh, town. He was just doing his life in this town. This town was a remote town, kind of isolated from everywhere else. And what he did not know was his life was actually a TV show. He was unaware that since he was small, he was being brought up. And in this TV show, people were watching him live his life. All of the other actors or the people in his life were actually actors in this movie as well. And so he has, he's unaware of it, but some things start, don't, they get to a point where they're not making sense anymore. And he starts thinking, They've got, there's got to be more than just this town. And every time he wants to leave the town, he's always persuaded to stay in there. And so, but he kept thinking, there's got to be more, there's got to be more. And so the whole movie is where he's seeing sort of cracks or fissures in the, in the, the, the construct of his life. 
he sees these things that don't make sense. And so he begins to explore those. And as he explores those, they become more and more aware that something is not right. Until the very end, he gets on a sailboat and he is sailing. He's still on the set of this massive TV program. And they try to throw storms at him. But what he decided is, I'll sail for the horizon. And as he sails for the horizon, nothing's going to deter him. As he gets to where he thinks the horizon's going to start, he crashes into the wall of the set. And he realizes, my life has been a lie all these years. The purpose of today and last week and next week is that I care deeply that you don't get to the end of your life and realize that it is based on an untruth or a lie that the world has told you when God has been trying to continually get your attention and show you the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? The reason why it matters is man for so long has been looking for God. It's what we call religion. Religion is man looking for God because there is this innate, deep down feeling within each of us that there's got to be more than this. It can't just be about this. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 tells us that God has set in the heart of mankind eternity so that we are searching for him and searching for his ways. So why do religions exist? Well, they exist to find out those questions and those things. Religions exist for these reasons. Origin, where do we come from? Identity, who are we? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, how should we live? And then destiny, where are we actually going when it's all over with? There are three different categories of religions that are in the world that most religions fit under these things. Now, there are millions of religions, but there are three basic categories. If you'll put that on the screen for me, please. There is theism, which means it believes God made everything. And three of the main ones is Judaism, Christianity, Islam. They believe there is a God and he made everything. There's pantheism. This means God is all and in all. And this is Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age. And then there is atheism. That means there is no God at all. This is religious humanism in that. These are ways to make sense of the world. But the real question is, among three major categories of religions, among millions of individual religions, how do we know that Christianity is the one true way to God? How do we know it's the one truth that separates us and that from, separates itself from all other religions and knows that God is communicating with us his will and his way? I want to give you four things this morning to look at. How do we know Christianity is true? Well, from the atheistic standpoint that says there is no God, I want to talk to you this morning about the very fact that you can know that there is a God just by reason and by common sense. Let me give you a couple of those. The first is this. It's called the beginning of the universe, okay? In big terms, it's called the, it's called the cosmological argument. You don't have to worry about that. The beginning of the universe. And there is simply no way that the universe began from a random set of events that just came together at just the right time with just the right material at just the right moment 
for the universe to begin. As a matter of fact, scientists even have gone back and they now know with the expansion of the universe that it's continually expanding, because it's continually expanding, it means that it has come from a certain place. And if it's expanding, that means going back. There had to be a starting point if it's continually expanding. They recognize that. Even theories of the origin of the universe, like the Big Bang Theory, recognize there has to be a starting point. It didn't just exist for all time. Because the universe is continually expanding, there had to be a starting point. It is more reasonable to assume that there is a cause for the starting point than there is for no cause, that it's just a random set of circumstances. I mean, our basic minds say cause and effect. If this is happening, then there had to be a reason for it. So the beginning of the universe tells us that there has to be a starting point, and it cannot be just randomness. Something or somebody had to start it. The second thing is this. There is the origin of life, the origin of life. There are many theories about how life got started. I'm just going to tell you right up front. It is simply beyond the scope of reason to believe that life exists from an origin without cause. Now, I know there's popular beliefs out there. I know there's popular scientific theories that are out there. One is the theory of evolution that believes that, that things just happened at the right time, at the right place, with the right circumstances, and life just sort of began as some, they call it sludge or amoeba or whatever you want to talk, and then it just eventually developed into a tadpole, which eventually developed into something else, eventually developed into a monkey, eventually developed into a Neanderthal, eventually developed into what we know today. It is beyond the scope of reason to think that circumstances by themselves allowed that to happen. In addition to that, there are major problems with the theory of evolution. When I say evolution of the theory, I mean macroevolution. I know you and I change over time. I, I get that. Macro is what I'm talking about. Here's the major problems. If it were done today, it would never be accepted in any scholastic, any university accepted. Because Darwin himself, the originator of it, admitted that the reason why he began the theory or searching for another reason besides God was because he was so disappointed in some things that happened in his life, he set out to prove that God wasn't real. Scientifically, nobody listens to you. If you start off with a premise and you seek out to simply disprove or prove that premise with, that, that it goes along with your bias, then it's not considered a scientific study at all. Secondly, if you've ever seen the charts of how evolution starts from the tadpole, the amoeba, the tadpole, and you just see the different things, and you see millions of years in between these different models of people till today, and you will be told that there are skeletons or there are bones that support each of those. Here is the biggest problem. There are millions of years in between all of those. There are no data points, no bones, no skeletal remains of anywhere in between. So we are asked to believe that there is a giant leap from this millions of years to this millions of years with no evidence of any life in between those. It is, it's beyond the scope of reasonableness. What is more reasonable is to believe that life, like the universe, began with a cause. 
that there is a creator who designed us, who ordained us, and who destined us for a purpose greater than just existing. The beginning of the universe, the origin of life, the design of life, the way that human bodies are made, this cannot be by accident or chance. Let me give you a couple of things about the human body. It's amazing. The largest bone in the human body is the femur. It can actually support 30 times the weight of a person's body. On a pound-for-pound basis, ounce-for-ounce, it's stronger than steel, the way it supports things. How's that possible? Did you know that messages from the human brain, they travel through the nervous system at 200 miles an hour? I realize some are faster than the others. I get it. (laughs) You get to determine which end of the spectrum you're on or the person next to you is on, okay? If the DNA in your body was stretched out, it would be 10 billion miles long, which means you could travel to Pluto and back, whether you think Pluto's a planet or not. That's amazing. It's fascinating. The human body contains 35 trillion cells. The earth has 7 billion people, which means that there are 5,000 times more cells in your body than there are people on the planet. No matter how badly your fingerprints get damaged, when they grow back, they will grow back exactly the same with your unique signature because you are uniquely and you are wonderfully made. That doesn't happen by accident. Only a God causes that. And then there is... Go ahead. And then there is what is called moral law. Now, we all have laws. Cities do. States do. Nations do. But here's the, here's the thing that's beyond it. We don't need laws to know that some things are wrong. We just know them. Like if we're all born by happenstance, if we're all born by accident, a random set of circumstances, then we're just existing. There's no reason that we would have the same thoughts innate within us. I mean, there's no society that says that we think murder is right. There's no set of people that think murder is right. Every single person... You ask them, is murder wrong? They're going to go, yes, murder's wrong. Listen, every single person that you meet, you will ask them a question, is child abuse wrong? They're going to go, absolutely, child abuse is wrong. I don't need a law on the books of a government to know that those things are wrong. So here's the question. How do over 7 billion people around all of this earth in 185-something countries on seven continents How do all of those people at one time who have been born in different places, raised in different places, raised in different cultures, with different sets of values, with different sets of laws, how do all of them know that that's wrong innately? Because it is not something that is given to you. It is something that you know deep within because God places within us his moral code. Romans 1 says... If you can simply look at creation alone, you'll know there's a God. How do I know there's a God? Because the beginning of the universe tells me. 
because the beginning or origin of life tells me, because the design of life in our bodies tells me, and because there is a moral law that's so deep within us that we don't need people to tell us it's right or wrong. That has to come from somewhere. So I know Christianity is true because there is a God. The second reason I know it's true is that miracles are used to confirm God's message over and over again throughout the Bible and throughout history that are confirmed. The New Testament records 36 miracles that Jesus performed. Eyewitnesses have all verified those things. They verified it to such an extent when they wrote the miracles and told the stories of the miracles, they actually invited people, go investigate. Here are the people who were there. Go and talk to them right now. You can ask them and know whether it's true or not. You can interrogate them and know whether it's true or not. The Jewish Talmud, who rejects that Jesus was the Messiah, they literally acknowledge that Jesus actually performed miracles, even though they deny him as their Messiah. The Old Testament predicted the Messiah, a man who would actually be God, that he would come to this earth, live a sinless life, that he would give his life for sins, that he would be buried, and he would raise from the dead. And the Messiah would have do miraculous things like heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes, make lame walk, and make those who cannot hear to hear, and those who cannot speak to speak. And Jesus did every one of those verified by eyewitnesses, even verified by people who disagreed with him. How do I know that Christianity is true? Because there's a God, and over and over again, he has proven himself through the miraculous. The third reason I know that Christianity is true is because the Bible is true and reliable. So here's something. A lot of times you'll get into a conversation with someone or someone will make you question or ask you questions and you'll wonder, how do I know that the Bible is actually true? How do I know that it's the word of God? Well, let me give you this. This is the the amazing symmetry of the Bible is beyond the scope of believability until you realize how wonderfully God has handed down his word. It was written over 1,400 years, over 40 generations by 40 different authors on three continents in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And yet it tells that every one of it tells the same exact story, that God loved his creation enough that he would send his son to redeem his creation so that we might have a relationship with the Father again. 40 different authors, 1,400 years, three different languages, and all of them speak to the exact same thing, that God designed you and destined you for a relationship with him, and he went to the ends of the earth to do it. Then there is no, I'm going to give you a big word. Just listen, throw it out, okay? Just going to give it to you. There is what's called the canonization process. How do we know that what we have is the real word of God. Canon simply means a measure, a a rod, a staff, something that you can measure by. What what is the standards that were used to know that the books that we have, the 66 books that we have in the Old Testament and the New Testament, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, how do we know that they're the actual word of God? Well, the Old Testament, those books were all ratified by 90 AD by Jewish scholars, and they had already had wide acceptance and wide circulation. 
And Jesus himself actually spoke of them. He talked about the law and the prophets as being the acceptable word of God. The law is the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets is what makes up the rest of it and is what they called it. So when you would talk about the Old Testament, they would just say the law and the prophets. They didn't call it the Old Testament. To them at the time, there was no New Testament. So they referred to it as the law and the prophets. So we know that it was preserved almost 2,000 years ago as the word of God accepted not only by Jewish scholars, but by Jesus himself. The New Testament, those were books that were written before the end of the first century, and they were already in wide circulation as individual books or letters that were going out to many of the churches and believers at the time. The first list of New Testament um, books, as they're found in our current um, way that we have, we find those in 367. It's the first list that, that, that we have documentation of. We find that in 367, um, and that was ratified by two different councils, the Council of Hippo and the Council of Carthage in the late 300s. And the reason why that's so important, you say, well, why does that matter? Because the church is undergoing persecution at this time. And with all the writings they had about Jesus and about who God is and what Jesus does and um, what the theology was, they had to come together and say, which ones of these that are written, which ones are worth giving our lives for? Which ones are the ones we will stand on and say, these are the word of God that we know to be true beyond anything else? And what they relied on was who was the author? Was it from one of the apostles or one of the prophets or one of the leaders in the first century church of the New Testament? Did the book have doctrinal integrity? Did it align with the teaching and the revelation that had been passed down from Jesus through the apostles to the other church leaders? And did it already have wide acceptance did many of God's people already accept it as the word of God? Those were the reasons, those were the criteria that it was accepted. But the reason why they decided that these were the ones, they said, these are the ones we'll die for. These are the ones we'll say, if someone says, you, you better renounce this as the word of God, these are the ones we'll give our lives for. So how do I know? How do I know that the Bible is true? I know it because of the symmetry and the symmetry, the synergy of how it was passed down with one message, one voice, one God, one purpose. I know because of the way that it was preserved. And I also know because of the world's standards of how you accept older documents. The standards they use is how many copies do we have of it and how close are they to the originals? So by world examples, the closest you have, I told you last week, the closest that we have to the history of Alexander the Great, of which we get all of our history of Alexander the Great, is 400 years removed. And the copies that we have is written 400 years after he, he died. We don't have copies from that. Those are several hundred years later that we have copies of that. By the same standard, there are over 6,000 copies of the New Testament that we have. And the closest ones are within 100 years of the originals that were written. If you simply use world standards, no other document, no other book comes anywhere close to the evidence that the New Testament has that it is really the word of God. So you can know that the Bible is true and reliable because of the way it was passed down, the way it was preserved, and by the world standards, there is far more evidence of the New Testament being real and true. And if you accept the other things, if you accept historical documents that do not have the same evidence and you don't accept the Bible, that's fine, you have that right, but you also 
need to at least acknowledge that you're a hypocrite. Because truth is truth. So how do I know that Christianity is true? Because there is a God. And because he confirmed Jesus' ministry through miracles. Because the Bible, by any standard, is true and reliable. And fourthly, because Jesus' claim to God was confirmed. How do we know? Because Jesus fulfilled so many Old Testament prophecies. There are 333 Old Testament prophecies about Messiah. As Jesus fulfilled those, the statistical odds of that happening by chance are overwhelming. They are one in 84 to the 97th power. That means one in 84 with 97 zeros. You say, I can't even fathom that number. Let me give you a... If, if you were to take a bunch of quarters four feet tall and cover the state of Texas, and somewhere in the middle of that, there is a gold coin buried in there, and you were to walk across the top of that and stop at just the right place and dig down and with one just one opportunity, reach down, grab a coin, the chances of you getting that gold coin walking in the, in the state of Texas in four feet high of quarters and reaching down and getting that gold coin is the same odds as one person fulfilling those prophecies. And yet Jesus did. We know that Jesus confirmed that his claim to be God through his miracles. He lived a sinless life. We know he performed miracles. And we know that he fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. The final thing is, is that he predicted and he accomplished his resurrection. I don't have time to tell you all about that. That was last week's message. I want to encourage you to go back for the proofs of the resurrection. And this morning, you may be here and saying, that's great, but why, why do I need to know all this? Because there's an old song you may have sang, sang as a child. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. But there may be circumstances in your life where people don't accept the Bible. And you need to know that what you believe is solid. Because the Bible does tell me so. But I can also believe it because the foundation of my faith is based on more than just some fable or some fantasy. It's based on truth. And it matters what you believe. Ken Davis is a Christian comedian, and he tells the story about when he was um, in college. And he was asked to do an assignment to prove one of the theories. And so he chose a law, and it's called the law of the pendulum. And the law of the pendulum is this. Uh, a pendulum, obviously, is a weighted object that is hung from uh, with, with a rope or something like that. And you take the pendulum, and if you hold it up and drop it, 
it will go to the other side and it will come back. And because of gravity and friction, it will always stop short of where it started until finally it will keep doing that until it finally comes to rest. So he was seeking to prove this. And so as he was seeking to prove this, what he did was he, uh, on the little chalkboard area, he designed a small little one. It was a tiny little paper with a little string or whatever. And he just showed, he, he watched it and he showed the, the, the law of the pendulum. And so he's making this presentation, explaining it all. And as it comes to rest, he asked the professor and he asked all of the students, he said, hey, do you believe the law of the pendulum? And they all said, yes. So then he moved over to the middle of the room where he had attached four parachute cords capable of holding 500 pounds apiece. And he attached 500 pounds to all of them. So they would hold 2,000 pounds, but he attached 500 pounds. Then he asked the professor, he said, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? He said, yes. So he went over, took a table and took a chair and put it up on the table. And he asked the professor to climb up on the table and sit in the chair. (laughs) And so he said, if the law of the pendulum is true, he said, wherever it starts from, it will go out and it will stop before it gets back to that point. He says, is that the law of the pendulum? And the professor said, yes. And he said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this and I'm going to bring this up to the edge of your nose. And I'm going to let it go. And if the law of the pendulum is true, then you are in no danger whatsoever, right? He said, yes. He said, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? He said, the professor, just beads of sweat are pouring. And he just meekly said, yes. He said, okay. So he takes it, holds it lets it go. He said, as it goes to its farthest place on the ark and starts making its way back to him, he said, the professor is just starting to fidget in the chair. And he said, as it makes it to about two feet from the professor, the professor just bails out of the chair and off the table. And he asks the class this question. Does the professor really believe in the law of the pendulum? And there was a resounding no. It's easy to say you believe something. It's much harder to stand on it when things are tough. It's easy to say you believe in the law of the pendulum. It's easy to say when you see a tiny little paperweight on a chalkboard that is removed from you. It is much different when that is a heavy weight headed straight for you and you've got to determine, do I believe deep down in my core that this is true? There's coming a time in every one of our lives. You've either been there, you are there, or you will be there. When you've got to know, is what I believe real? Do I believe that God is for me? Do I believe that he would send his only son because he loves me that much? And if he sent his only son, do I believe that he would never abandon me or leave me in my troubled times? Because the law of the pendulum is true. Whether it's five pounds, 500 pounds, or 5,000 pounds. And Christ is real, whether it is a minor problem or whether it's a major catastrophe in your life. And there's coming a point in your life that you're sitting down saying, am I going to stand firm in my faith? 
Am I going to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord in my life? There's coming a time when your body's going to face a disease or your loved one's going to face a disease, and you're going to have to say, do I really believe that he's a healer? But if he doesn't choose to heal, that I'm going to wake up and see them in glory one day. There's coming a time when you have to believe whether or not your emotions and your anxiety are getting the best of you, and you say, do I believe that he can speak peace into my circumstances that seem to overwhelm me right now? There's coming a time when you're going to face financial difficulties in your life, and you have to believe, do I believe that he's the God of provision? Do I believe that he's the God that owns the cattle of a thousand hills? Do I believe that he's the God that will provide all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus? There's coming a time when you have to stand firm and believe this what I say with my mouth, will I stand in it and believe that God is my salvation and my light? Because this is an academic This isn't paper knowledge. You can read your Bible in two dimensions, but you have to live your faith out in four dimensions. And you have to know, do I believe what I say I believe? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? If you're in this room right now, and you say, Pastor, I know when I came in this place, things weren't right between me and the Lord. But I'm making the decision to follow Jesus. I know he's real. I know he's true. I know it's right. If that's you, I want you to just simply pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are the Son of God that you came to this earth to give your life for my life. I acknowledge that I'm in need of salvation and that I can't give that to myself, but I have to receive the gift of God. And so I ask you today as I yield my heart and my life to you, be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins in my past. Lead me from this day forward and I will never be the same. I'm just going to ask everyone in the room, just pray this prayer profession with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, no one looking around except me and the ministry team. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to call you out. I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, and you know that when you came into this place, things weren't right between you and the Lord, but you made a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time. Would you just be brave enough to raise your hand really high and say, Pastor, pray for me this week. I made that decision. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, you're not alone. God bless you. Keep them up just a moment, please. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. All right, you can put them down. I want your head still bowed for a moment. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I feel like I'm in that chair and the weight of the world seems to be barreling down at me. And I need to stand firm. Even though, as Pastor Brett read, the enemy is shouting threats against me. That what I know to be true is actually true and I'm going to stand firm in it. And I need God's grace and his courage and his strength. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me this week. 
Oh, you're not alone. No, not at all. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I thank you for yielded lives and changed hearts. I thank you for hope that is being restored in each of us, especially those who made a decision to follow you today. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would feel the weight of sin lift off their shoulders and the joy of the Lord fill their hearts. I pray for the people that are in this room right now that they are currently in that situation where they have to believe that you're real. And if you're real, your promises are real, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that you'll be a healer and a guide and a provider and a peace speaker into every circumstance in our lives. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would just reveal yourself to them. Give them strength as they stand firm today. And God, I pray that every lie of the enemy would fall to the wayside. And I pray that you would bring them through. And just like Pastor Brett said, they would have a song to sing of your faithfulness, just like Exodus chapter 15. God, do that today so we can sing your praise and give you glory and honor, and more and more people will lift up the name of Jesus. We ask that, believe that, and give you praise for that by faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Hey, I want you to really celebrate with me. Five people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today. Come on, lift up a hand, a shout of praise, amen. Amen. Listen, if you made that decision this morning, I'm so proud of you, but more than that, God is proud of you, and we want to help you get started in that walk. So if we can help you in any way, uh, some of our grow team will be right down here in the front. If you made a decision today or in the last few weeks, we'd love to help you get started in that. Also, um, in the grow team, uh, if you want ways to kind of connect and get more involved here, we'd love to give you some information about that as well uh, as soon as service is over with. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Don't miss next week. We're going to talk about the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life and how that separates Christianity from everything else, that God cares enough about us that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide us every single day. So I hope you'll be a part of that as well. Today, I want to take the privilege to bless you according to Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountperrinnorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, We'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 9.45 or 11.15 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.